I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Playing Footsie podcast. It's... Uh... Uh, another week, uh, another massive volatile week in the market. <laughs> We've got Steve D and Steve W with me today. Um, how you been, guys? What you been up to this week? Yeah, I, I'm good here, Paul. I'm relieved at the knowledge that it is indeed another week, uh, as you pointed out there. Um, my portfolio has had an interesting time of things in the markets. Uh, so last week there was a question in the the Steve or Steve or... Uh, both Steve's or not Steve, where I asked who had Amazon as their largest position. At the time that video went out and at the time we made that video, it was true. It was my largest one. It's not now with Amazon coming down and Berkshire Hathaway coming up. Uh, the gap has actually closed between them. So Berkshire's now my biggest position, which is probably the most interesting thing to happen to my portfolio this week. So meanwhile, Stoneco continues to do uh, Stoneco things, which is to say sort of go down but occasionally just have a big jump up and then gradually gradually make its way down uh one step up three steps down again uh, outside of that uh yes another person has uh signed up to gusto through my link so thank you very much for that super grateful uh i hope you really enjoy the stuff that you get from them um i'm doing well there oh paul is it you oh by the way i uh have just had a gusto box today uh so um it might not have been through your link. I'm not sure, but I uh, know it came. It came a couple of days ago. But I had a uh, ragu spaghetti thing today. It was all right, just heavily carby, really, really carby, and it just made me feel a bit funny. But uh, yeah, gusto, not bad. Yep. Not so bad. this is why I write the adverts. Anyway, how are you, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, my portfolio is doing as well as it has been in the last eight weeks, which is uh, not so well. Uh, I've also been laughing at Stone Co. It basically opens up and says, here, have 5%. And by the end of it, it said, you're not having that. <laughs> Someone else's. <laughs> but it's just, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty nice. I've been, uh, well, you know, one of the things you, <sighs> fuck me, how am I going to word this? I'm going to have to edit this bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've been really pleasantly surprised to see the uh, the donations rolling. Uh, we've been um, sort of pretty much pretty overwhelmed by it as a three. Um, so we just wanted to give a quick thanks to um, Ethan, Vera, Chimpy13, um, Angel, Andy, Sam and um, Stato, who uh, a combination of um, donating and buying things through the store. It, it really did help. And um, yeah, thank you very much. Keeps us going for another year. That's going to be... So yeah, thank yeah, you so much. Basically, guys. got another year of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unlucky. You bankrolled it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my week. Uh, what can I say? Um, Medtronic, Discovery, and uh, ASOS. I think has done really well. So right up into the right up into the clouds. So uh, there's been a few stocks that have done really well, but uh, big tech lagging behind a little bit like you said with amazon just coming down a little bit and the small caps wow 
just seem to be being left behind at the moment. There's absolutely no growth going on. We were just joking there that every day I pretty much go on and type in Peloton and see that it's 5% down. I see Zoom, it's 5% down. Uh, loads, of, loads of the small cap stocks are just being left behind, particularly the Cathy Wood stuff. And what's going on there? Is it just... We just we all scared. At, at the sort of midway through the podcast, we thought Apple would be buying um, Peloton at some point, didn't we? We were thinking sort of twenty, thirty billion might not be a bad, too bad of a purchase price for Apple. But at the rate it's going and the donations we're receiving, we might buy it as a podcast ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Save up, uh, buy, and rather than buy me a coffee, buy me a stock. I think I'm going to add that to my own channel. To be honest with you. Uh, but yeah, basically buy me all of Peloton soon. That'd be that'd be that'd be a nice little thing. Or would it? I don't even think Apple mm. wants it at this price right now. Remarket them as cause errors and um, get more people on board. <laughs> yeah, great. Stuff. I like it. Right, if so- we acquired that, we could just have people on Pelotons there sitting there trying to cycle along while they listen to us trying to guess whether Mastercard or United Health has a bigger market cap or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to cut down on the girly giggling, I think, at the moment. So stop trying to make me laugh. <laughs> right, we've got a long oh. show today. We've got lots to talk about. Um, there's new podcasts out that we want to talk about. We've got some questions. And we've got a little bit of trading 212 news uh, with some possible new stocks that we're looking at. So a uh, long day to go. But first, I think we're going to go with Steve D. I think you've got a little game for us this week. I do, yes. And it was another one of those games that started where you come up with the name first and then sort of design a game around it. And uh, at the time, I was watching Tenable, um, and I just thought, Tenurable. <laughs> so I've got a game for you about CEOs and um, how long they've been in the job. Oh so I thought, God. that's very tricky. That's very, very tricky. So what I'll do is I'll I'll find 20 CEOs. I'll let you guys pick two numbers. I will read out the two companies and the two CEOs, and you just have to tell me who's been oh, in the job the longest. This, this is going to be so, so hard because... So you have a 50-50 chance at least. So I could have been brutal, um, but, you know, games ending nil-nil mm. um, don't probably don't score so well with viewers yeah. so steve i've got you going first so give us your first two numbers okay uh number six and number 19 and the one that's been in the job longer is number 19 next question <laughs> <laughs> so number six is spotify and the ceo is uh daniel Eck. Yeah. and mm-hmm. it was 19 wasn't it 19 is uh, <laughs> meta ceo robo zuckerberg hmm. okay uh, so they're both founder-led, I think. I think Eck is the founder at Spotify. Oh, we know about Zuckerberg. Um, I think Spotify is more recent than uh, now known as Meta, so I'd suggest that Zuckerberg's been in the job longer. Like I said, number 19 is the one that's been there longer. <laughs> um, just out of interest, Steve, do you think there's much in it? Uh, I'm not sure what I think much is, but five years, maybe? But there's actually only two years in it. Okay. Oh. And uh, you are correct. Whether this works or not, because it's been spinning since I turned it on. Bing! Right, give us your number, (laughs) Paul. I forgot what he said already. So, uh, 119, (laughs) right? That's a good start. (laughs) No. (laughs) Two and 18. Okay, there we go. Two and 18. (laughs) 
Um, so two is uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, and eighteen is LVM LVMH CEO Bernard Arnold. 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 Oh, right, Satya Nadella. Four years. Four years or But I don't. That's that'd be a big guess out of there. Um, and I have no idea about the LVMH one because he just sounds old. So I'm going to go with uh, Arnold. Hmm, because being old means you've been in the job <laughs> the longest. Um, he, he sounds but, like he sounds like a couch. He sounds like he's just <laughs> part of the furniture there. You know. <laughs> okay. Um, so Satya Nadella has been in the job actually seven years and 11 months, which surprised me. I didn't think it'd mm. been quite that long. Um, mm. But Bernard has been in the job for 33 years. Uh, so yeah. Why did I tell you? You can tell. You can Correct. tell. Correct. Okay. That's good thinking that, Paul. Sound effects aren't working. I don't know why. Um, oh, it worked. Did it work for you? No, that was literally done. me quite quiet. <laughs> Uh, not that. Okay, Steve, next. Uh, eight and nine, please, Steve. Eight and nine. Uh, so that mm -hmm. is um, Bristol Myers Squibb, um, CEO is Gio Caforio. And mm -hmm. um, eight is BlackRock CEO Larry Fink. Oh, hmm. Um, Larry Fink feels like he's been around for ages. A name like Larry makes me feel like he's been in the job for a while as well. Uh, <laughs> he's like I a couch, like Paul's idea. It? it feels like another couch, but uh, Paul, I thought, had a good idea in the sense of, I sort of think, Microsoft's quite a demanding CEO role. Uh, you have to kind of innovate and stuff. LVMH has stuff just sells itself, just sit there for a bit, which is presumably what he's done, and fair enough to him, if it's working, don't break it. Unfortunately, I'm not sure which I think is the one of those two out of uh, alternative investments mainly BlackRock. Oh no, so that's Blackstone, isn't it? So you said BlackRock. Yeah, BlackRock. BlackRock. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. So just a load of index um, ones. Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, so I will suggest that that takes less effort than Caforio's job, and therefore the Larry Fink has been in the job longer. You are correct. Um, so Larry Fink's actually been in the job. Um, 34 years he's the uh, he is the longest of uh, all the ones we'll play with today and uh, Kavori has obviously only been there seven years so well done it's uh, it's all about how you pick them I guess isn't it start with one Paul since you called it earlier and I crossed it off one and three <laughs> one and three thank you uh, so that is um, Adobe CEO Shantanu Narayan and three is um, Apple CEO Tim Apple. Ooh. Um, I don't think the Apple, uh, the Adobe CEO has been in too long. He's not a founder, is he? You're not going to tell me he's a founder in a minute. And I just didn't have a clue. It doesn't sound like he's the founder. Uh, so the longest has got to be Tim Apple, right? So Tim Apple has been in the job um, 11 years, but uh, Shantanu Narayan has just crossed his 15th year as Adobe wow, CEO. Wow, there you so, go. Eh, Did you not know that. Incorrect. Well done. Mm. Okay, Steve? I, I would have got that wrong too. Tim Apple's one of these guys who's sort of been there longer than you think, I think, and Shantanu Narayan has a kind of cool, young-sounding name. 
makes you think he can't even be 11 <laughs> years old. he's in his 60s. Uh, um, well, I thought he was old. So, yeah. He's probably uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't. Um, okay. Uh, 13 and 16 then, please, Steve. Okay. So 13 is um, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki. And do you say it was 16? Uh, yes, please. 16 is BP CEO Bernard Looney. I'm sorry. Ah, Bernard Looney. I'm sorry. Another couch. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, uh, that's interesting. I've never paid attention to who the YouTube CEO is as opposed to the Alphabet one. Um, hmm. I, I will go I with, I, I feel. Go on. Go on, Paul. I, I, I kind of want to help you, but I, I think she's only been in the job like a month. Um, it feels. Mm. But so you're. Uh, you're going the same direction. You're nudging me the direction I was going anyway. If these had been paired up by Steve, and we this was a kind of prearranged pair of things, I would say <laughs> this had trap written all over it: an oil company <laughs> against YouTube or something like that, right? Which one's got an older, longer tenured thing? Yeah. But this isn't uh, a thing paired up by Steve. This is thirteen and sixteen, which are selected by me. So I'm going to go with this is not therefore a trap, and the BP person Bernard Looney's been in the job longer. Okay. <laughs> So if I tell you the BPC uh, Bernard Looney has only been in two years, mm. does that change your opinion? Yeah, I was confusing him with mm. the old guy who... I mean, it makes me old. less confident, but I will stick to the answer. <laughs> okay. Susan is just approaching her eighth year as oh, CEO of YouTube. Uh, so you are wet work. Incorrect. Mm-mm. I had a weird feeling they had recently Paul. swapped for some reason. I don't know why. Why do I think that? Well, those two, just... the BP guy and the YouTube person. No, the, the the head of YouTube. Why do I think she's just come into a role? What what did I read the other day about her? I must have read something. Can't help you with that, Paul. No, nah, doesn't matter. <laughs> Steve asked the questions there. <laughs> Got to search it. Um, four and five. Four and five are available. Uh, so four is Netflix co-CEO Reed Hastings. And five is Teladoc CEO Jason Gorovich. Oh, this is a question of basically how long have these companies been going for? Um, and I'm guessing Netflix has been going longer. That's all I'm going to go for. Okay. So I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a hint before I tell you whether you're right or wrong. Jason Gorovich has actually been the CEO of Teladoc for 13 years. Yeah, see, I, I wasn't sure how long they've been around. Reed Hastings has been the CEO of Netflix for 24 years. Ah, there you go, so then. you are correct. Well done, Paul. What we got left, Steve? Uh, we've got left 12 and 20. Okay. 12 and 20. So 12 is AMD CEO Lisa Su. Mm-hmm. And 20 is Target CEO Brian Cornell. And I will let you oh. know... There is oh, two months in it. Ooh. Oh, grief. Um, this makes it nearly impossible then. I was hoping... So I was hoping it was going to be not close. I associate Lisa Sue as having not been in the job for a tremendously long period of time. I mean, I'm thinking years, not months, but I do associate her with having got a lot done quite quickly, uh, which makes me think that she's not been in it for an awful long time. Target feels like the kind of company you could run for ages, but then if you tell me it's close, it's clearly not one of those. Um 
that is not even slightly helpful knowing that they're two months uh, apart here. Let's try Elisa Sue has been in a good job longer. So Elisa Sue has been at AMD for seven years and four months, and Brian Cornell has been a target for seven years and six months. So you are whack whack uh, incorrect. Four, like two month unlucky. Okay, tough pair that one. I'd have gone the it same. Was. I think I would have gone the same. I think. Just... I thought you would have gone for Brian because it sounds older. Uh, it was the first thing that came in my head. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the Brian. It wasn't the Brian months. bit. It was the cor- it was the Cornell bit, and I went, "Oh, that's a that's an old institution." And I was thinking that, but then I I reversed my brain to try and do it right. Um, speaking of reversing brains, I have no idea what <laughs> numbers are left. Uh, so twenty <laughs> and thirteen. Well done, Paul. You no. picked two that aren't available. <laughs> <laughs> Pick two for me because I have been firing all over the board to try and confuse him. I was too busy uh, reading So the nearest two to those are um, 14 <laughs> and 17. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 14 uh, and 17, okay. please, Steve. Well well done. Okay, um, so it's Lockheed Martin CEO Jim Tacklett, uh, which I think mm. is how you pronounce it. And 17 is Unilever CEO Alan Joe. Oh, God. Um, that's that's two people that could, be, could have been in around for a while, though I... Oh, I'm going off such a horrible memory here, but I think Unilever has changed not so long ago. So I'm going to go LMT as the Okay, uh, so um, you are right. Alan Jope, um has only been in the job about three years, um, but Jim Tackler has, uh, has only just been uh, put into Lockheed Martin. He's only been in two years. Ow. So you are mm. whack, whack, incorrect. Ow. Okay. Uh, pity Steve. I got that one. Uh, so I knew Lockheed Martin one. I own Lockheed Martin in quite a bit on that. I knew he was only a couple of years in. Uh, okay, let's go with... Oh, I'm deliberately trying to confuse Paul here. Lucky number seven. And other lucky number 11, please. Okay, so number seven is JP Morgan's Jamie Diamond. Mm-hmm. And 11 is GM's Mary Barra. <sighs> Mm, I was hoping uh, after you said JP Morgan, you would give me a company that's only about four years old. Um, <laughs> hmm. uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Diamond feels like he's been there as old as the hills, doesn't he? Uh, he's, he does. He's been there since financial crisis. I think he's the only big bank CEO to have... Oh, I hope I don't give this away with 10 and 15 now. But I think he's the only big bank CEO to have survived since the uh, financial crisis and to have been in charge of his bank um, during that time. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's true. That seems like a decent run for anyone to be running anything, especially a company the size of either JP Morgan or General Motors. So let's go with uh, Jamie Dimon's been there longer than Mary Barra. Okay. Um, you are correct. Um, Jamie Dimon has been there 17 years. He did He has. Um, he did survive the financial crisis. Mary Barra has mm. only been CEO of GM um, for eight years, but she has worked there longer than Jamie Dimon because uh, I don't know whether you know Mary Barra. She originally started as a factory worker and she's worked her way through the ranks. Mm. So, That's really correct. I commend the deduction there, Steve. That was brilliant. The bringing up of the financial crisis, brilliant mm-hmm. idea. And obviously... Uh, the, the head of GM has been in the news a lot recently, hasn't she? Uh, trying to push the, the EVs, and it's made all the tests a lot very, very angry. <laughs> so, <laughs> Paul is delaying picking two numbers here. Uh, stop, nine, stop stalling us, Paul. 
Nine and ten. Well, ten's oh, one of them. Ten's one. Ten and fifteen, Paul. Ten and fifteen. Um, <laughs> so you've got to pick between Mac CEO Robert Davis and Legal and General CEO Nigel Wilson. Oh, Nigel's been there ages, right? <laughs> Nigel's not the the couch. He's the he's the carpet. He's. <laughs> Is he how, is he, how is he yeah, not he? the longest-serving CEO on this list? I mean, I, I agree with Paul. Shot. He's got an old-sounding name and is an old-sounding business. How can he not be the person who's been there since the beginning of time? He is. I actually can tell you one he... thing. He's not the. He's not the founder of Legal in General. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's actually. He's actually well, quite no. young as well. He's, I've I've mm-hmm. listened to a few of his talks, and he is actually. Like on um, CEO level, he's relatively young. He's not Mark Zuckerberg, but he's uh, he's he's got to be like in his fifties, right? So I was going to say, I think he's early fifties. Yeah. Um, let's have a look. He's sixty-five. Oh, <laughs> he just looks good. Man. He's like he's yeah. like Jamie Dimon. If you photograph him in the right way, he looks like he looks like he's twenty. But if you're uh, mm. if you get him if you get him in real life, Jamie Dimon looks like he's he's showing his age years. So if you get him in the wrong light, uh, I'm still going to go with Nigel though because uh, that's just my best guess because I can't remember Merck. Merck is long. Any clue my... how long I Robert would... Davis has been in position at Merck? I think not very long. Uh, he won CEO had... of the year last year. Yeah. Yeah, that was his first year. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, Robert Davis has uh, been in charge a year, and uh, Nigel Wilson has been in charge 10 years, Paul, so well done. Ding! Ding! And cool. We that's have a tie. It. That's all the game. It's a three-all tie, and I don't have a tiebreaker again. I didn't write one because I just thought there's no way we were getting anywhere near here. So enjoy your <laughs> Go draw. on, Steve. Oh, Steve, just just pick one you. of the CEOs on that list that you haven't told us, and we'll have a guess at how long they've been there. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. um, one of the earlier ones you didn't tell us, I don't think. I think I told you them all, but uh, did you? Okay, bugger. how okay, never long mind. to the how long to the nearest month has Sachi Nadella <laughs> been in charge of Microsoft? Oh, you know, uh, seven years, two months. Yeah, I was, I'm going to go seven years, three months, because that puts probability in my favour. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in the seven-year thing. I'm regretting two now. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, seven years, 11 months. So well done, Paul. You were the closest. <laughs> That's a number I did remember. All right, uh, uh, let us know in the comments mm. below if you uh, had fun with that game, because that was a fun one, Steve. I liked that. That was, that was enjoyable. Uh, you could have made that really hard as well. Um, so let's uh, carry on. Right. We've got on our notes here, because, again, I don't really contribute much to this. Uh, we've got review new Motley Fool money. So what is Motley Fool money? Because I don't actually know. And uh, tell me what it's all about. Okay, so um, when we were recommending podcasts uh, a few episodes ago, um, we recommended um, a few podcasts. Really. We recommended Industry Focus, we recommended um, Motley Fool Money, we recommended um, Market Foolery, and um, I'm not sure if we did recommend um, Motley Fool Answers as well, um, but it was another one of Motley Fool's really good podcasts. And, and what they've done this year is they've amalgamated them all into one 
big podcast. So now market foolery, industry focused, Motley Fool answers have all become part of Motley Fool Money, and it's a daily podcast um, hosted by Chris Hill. Um, and basically, they wanted to be a catch all. They're going to take all of those shows stick them together into one sort of 40 minute to an hour long show um almost like a super podcast really and um it was quite exciting i thought as they rolled into the new year um i've now listened to them all i think steve you've listened to all of them as well um so um we just really wanted to give you an opinion on that as well and really just to let you know whether it's actually worth your time um so there's been some interesting things on there already they've had an interview with becky quick um which you know should be pretty interesting we we like her from um squat box um paul likes her for other reasons i love um, becky quick i love her i love her so much the <laughs> they had um like a saturday education with um david and tom gardner mm-hmm. the two founders uh, founders of the fall so that should have been like a um a pretty interesting show and um yeah they've done various other bits and pieces um and generally my opinion of it is quite negative though um because it's basically taken all of those really really good shows which were great on their own and put them together and it all feels really really rushed um, not to say that the show won't get any better, but this is this this is the cream of the crop that um, that um, Motley Fool can put together, and it just doesn't seem to work for me. I mean, the Becky Quick interview was interesting in parts, but um, it tailed off really, really fast and ended a bit abruptly. Um, and uh, the Tom Gardner and um, David Gardner show, which should have been a bit of a blockbuster, it, it, it just felt a bit wet. Um, I don't know, Steve, what do you mm. think about it? I, I've not been very impressed so far. So, so far, I feel like I'm very much juries out on these kind of things, but I so far like it less than I liked the ones before because it feels all a little bit random uh, to me. So previously, when it was broken up into Motley Fool Money, which was kind of the weekly review show, uh, Market Foolery, which was a, a short, really, really quite bite-sized daily thing, um, and the industry-focused stuff, which picked out particular companies in particular sectors and so on. I had a good idea of what I was getting from any particular episode uh, when I kind of looked at it. And so far, there doesn't seem to be much kind of uh, rhyme or reason going on between what's going on each day. So one was about personal finance, and some have been about stocks, and some have been about the Becky Quick interview. Um, and I can't quite work out what I'm going to get when I tune in on any particular day uh, just yet. If there is a kind of structure to it, so Saturday's going to be an interview and Sunday's going to be education and uh, Thursday's going to be personal finance or whatever it is, I haven't yet figured that out, uh, which makes me kind of confused about what I'm listening to. And if they are going to have them structured like that, it seems to me the natural way to do that would be to have the personal finance show and the industry this thing show and the education show and so on. Um, so generally speaking, I'm so far confused by it a bit. Uh, the content of the episodes, take or leave, I'll come back to that in a little bit. But structurally, I haven't quite figured it out yet. The main thing that I regard as significantly better is that I think I'm getting a fair bit more Chris Hill for my money. Uh, and I quite like Chris Hill, uh, who is yeah, anchoring pretty much all of these shows. Uh, and I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I think he's one of the better presenters on that um uh, at that organization um and more of him is very welcome yeah there you go uh, a guy on the playing footsie podcast uh putting down another podcast uh, for it being too disjointed and all over the place so that's uh, that's, uh, <laughs> uh when you did tell me about this uh that they were merging all the podcasts together it was i i thought it was going to be like what you've explained because i've not listened to it 
uh, I thought it was going to be like what you explained. The industry focus was really important to me. I I liked that on Monday I heard what was it? Monday was finance. No, it wasn't. But on the different days, you would know what you're getting that day. It was it was based on whatever whatever they were telling you about. And um, and they had Wildcard Wednesday, didn't they? That was the other one. And mm-hmm. uh, that was my nice bit of surprise. But. Yeah, I, I saw it when when you said they were bringing them all together. That it could there could be too many voices. There could be a bit too much. Uh, uh, but I can understand why they've done it because it's very. They want retention. They want listen time, and uh, and they also want to probably make it easier to edit. And those ten minute episodes that they used to do on pretty much what twenty podcasts they were they were doing at the time very very tough to churn out and they probably wanted to streamline it and they're finding their feet every podcast has a find it feet right and uh, we know that all too well <laughs> that's my general thought but my general thought of it is it looks like they've really tried to streamline it chris hill obviously wanted to keep keep doing a daily show and he's very very good at stitching together bits and pieces it's just all the other bits just feel really really rushed and sometimes a little bit out of place and they don't, the connections between them all aren't that good, but you can't envy the record they used to have, that that daily mm. industry focus for, especially back in the day before Brian Feroldi started his YouTube channel, because he was on there three times a week. And the sort of level of detail you were getting out of industry focus was surprising that it was free, um, because mm. you were getting a daily show, a daily deep dive into a company where they would pull out you know, facts and figures and history and guidance and optionality and they're generally putting together some pretty coherent thoughts on it was was you know it was quite a lot of show really for for free um and i can see why they've tried to to knock that back it's just a shame really i was uh i'm not enjoying it as much as i thought i would and i'm and i think that's a shame yeah uh, it's, it's interesting it, it'll come it'll come i reckon it'll, it'll come uh so yeah that's uh, we we do love the motley fool by the way not the uk motley fool mm. that just recommends barclays to you every day it's the motley fool in the us that have very good brains behind them for all the the bryans and obviously chris hill and i forgot what the lady's name the the girl's name is um there's loads more of them, yeah. There's there's definitely some good stuff on there, and I've always found Motley Fool is useful for kind of, uh, I guess I could sort of call it nugget hunting, right? So I find companies there, and I hear about them, and I sort of think, yeah, I'll go, I'll go have a look at those. Uh, there's the stuff that um, I think they think about investing quite differently to how I think about it in some ways, and clearly they're better at it than I am, so I need to learn stuff, but I'm not quite there yet is sort of the point with these things. So one mm. of the things that I've never really understood about them much is that they, it seems to be with them um, watch the stock when it's going up and watch the business when it's coming down. So uh, when they talk about how their investments have done, uh, they say, yeah, it's done really great. Stock's up eight times. That's, that doesn't tell you anything about the business. That tells you about the stock. Uh, when stocks start coming down, they say, yeah, but the business is in great shape. And it seems I, I can't quite work out how those things are fitting together in their heads, basically, is what I, I sort of think. But they have definitely talked about some really, really interesting companies on there that I have intended to and have gone kind of digging into uh, one that we haven't talked about on this show yet that both Steve and I have taken a passing interest in. It's a company called Shoals Technologies uh, who makes sort of switches and that sort of thing for uh, basically solar panels and there might be a kind of bricks and uh, sorry picks and shovels um, play on uh, greenification uh, energy. I haven't got around to digging into them yet but I heard about them on Motley Fool. They sound really super interesting. So you get lots of good stuff like that but um, 
I'm a little bit patchy on how they think about it compared to how I think about it. Yeah, it's, um, they they don't approach valuation. They, well, they don't value. Uh, they kind of pride themselves on not doing any valuation, and that's in my head. That's all stock picking is all about is is valuation, and the business is going up, and they they do say that. Um, but yeah, very hard to. They they do think about it differently to the way I do, and and it would mean that I miss out on a lot of their their picks. But like you say, I I I do listen in. Axon was one of their famous ones, which did very well, and and I think we're all interested in. Uh, that's the um, the taser maker and the the, the all round police mm-hmm. solution. Um, very very interesting. Okay, let's move on to the next bit. Uh, speaking of valuation, yeah, let's do it that way. We'll do we'll do valuation on because we're all on trading two one two. We've all got our access to trading two one two. It's pretty much my only broker, so um uh we've been we've been opened up to quite a few new stocks some people who are listening might not actually know this yet because they've done it on the quiet uh steve d you take this one and and describe what's happened on trading 212 and maybe talk about a stock that we might be looking at yeah, there's a few really that have interested me on this um, list. Basically, the ISA is subject to rules from HMRC of what can and cannot be held in it. And um, before before we started this podcast, Trading 2 and 2 had a bit of an issue where they were allowing stocks that shouldn't be held in an ISA to be held in an ISA. And uh, they had to unwind um, quite a lot of positions and um, they had to essentially force people to sell out of positions because they were holding them in accounts that they shouldn't be. And from that point onwards, Trading 2 and 2 has been a little bit safety first. Um, So when they released all the OTC stocks, um, all the -the over-the-counter stocks, there was quite a few stocks in there that should have been able to be traded in an ISA. Um, But they... um, they, they basically decided to run them all past HMRC, find out which ones they actually are allowed to sell, and then uh, release that list. And um, we're happy to uh, find out that they actually released that list. Um, I think it was yesterday. Um, it was all finalized, and uh, we got access to a hell of a lot more stocks. So for a free service, Trading 212, we now got access to 10,000 um, stocks in total, which is uh, is a pretty hefty amount. And... Um, we got, I mean, we got access to, just last night, we got uh, to Nor- uh, Norilsk, which is one of the biggest um, nickel um, miners in the world. Um, got access to Newcrest, which is a massive Australian gold miner, uh, which Steve and I admire quite a lot. Um, game makers like Square Enix, who make the Final Fantasy series, and they made the new Guardians of the Galaxy game. Um Companies like CD Projekt Red, who make Witcher, and uh, unfortunately Cyberpunk. <laughs> we got access to companies like Tencent, um, which we previously weren't allowed to hold in NICE, and now, now we can, um, which I bought straight away. Um, ASX, which is the Australian exchange, um, a pretty well-valued, pretty uh, decent-looking exchange. And then companies like SoftBank, um, Naspers, and Meituan, um, which are all really big, really good, fast-growing companies. Um uh, SoftBank is is a VC firm. Obviously, Naspers is. Um, if you've ever come across Process, they are um, they are the original um, Process. They basically had to spin Process out. <laughs> um, but yeah, hell of a lot of really really good stocks in there. There was just a few I picked off at the top of my head. Did you guys see any or any of those interest you guys? I haven't actually seen the list, so I need to get on that. Where do you find it? Where have you found this list? 
they haven't posted it. This is me going through and oh. scrolling down forever. Oh, right. Is is that on the the previous announcement when they first announced the OTC markets? But somebody spotted it on the Trading 2 and 2 community and just alerted um, to, oh, we think the, because we assume they're just held hidden behind a filter. Mm. And we thought the filter had been broken in the latest update, but it actually turns out that, no, this is actually legit. Uh, confirmed with David, who works at Trading 2 and 2, that this was actually meant to happen. I'm not sure if they're going to make a formal announcement or not, but um, there's no list at present, but um, I'm sure uh, somebody will get it drafted up uh, pretty sharpish. Oh, that's pretty good. So there's no, no they're massive. just finalizing that then. I don't know at the moment. I just don't <laughs> yeah, know. No one really knows, but basically, if there's any companies out there that might, uh, that you know are traded OTC on the US markets, but uh, may have some uh, stocks uh, have an original listing in a company that's not on uh, an approved stock market on the from the HMRC, then you might actually be able to buy this. And, and it seems that they've now... Uh, I, I, they they directly gone to the HMRC and says, "What about this one?" And they go, "Yeah, that one's fine." What about this one? Sounds like you. No. Yeah, yeah. Sounds it, like he just went with a list and went, "Could you please tick or X next to each of these, please?" Um, <laughs> which ones we can so, yeah, use? So they're pretty confident now that they've got this accurate, which is good. Um, which means that we get access to a hell of a lot of really good companies from around the world. Yeah, really good. So company. one that caught my eye then. Um, you mentioned Newcrest already, Steve. So I won't kind of go further into that one. But I did see JD.com uh, back in there. That was one of the kind of ones that was initially ISA available, and then it was sort of decided it shouldn't be ISA available, and now it is ISA available again. Presumably, having kind of uh, checked this sort of stuff out. Um, I, when you said go looking for stuff that we can talk about on this that might be of interest, Tencent jumped out at me. I, Tencent's quite a biggish thing, and I haven't properly got into the the deep enough dive on how all the bits of it kind of work although i know it's basically everywhere uh in china and it's more or less just a bet on that growing chinese market but jd.com struck me as a stock that i hadn't looked at very recently but it looks like it's kind of an attractive-ish valuation before you start looking under the hood anyway and i haven't yet looked under the hood so i don't know quite what i'm going to find there but it's got a market cap of about 131 billion, debt of about 301, cash of about 309, and generates about 11 billion in free cash flow. So its free cash flow yield over its um, enterprise value is about 4.3% when I had a look, which is actually quite high uh, for a company sort of of that size in that kind of sector, exposed to that sort of market. No doubt I'm going to look in a couple of days and find there's something catastrophically wrong with JD.com, like the Chinese Party has, uh, sorry, Communist Party has decided to delist them or something. But uh, at first sight, that, that caught my eye of the new things that are available for what it's worth. Interestingly, uh, Tencent is just about to divest its stake in JD.com and rather than sell it down and give it, it to everybody, yeah. it is giving it to Tencent holders. So if you were to buy Tencent at the moment, um, somewhere down the line, you will receive JD.com shares as a dividend. So um, hmm. I think the uh, I think it's, it's going to be a decent ish payout as well so uh, i'd like to see trend one. another one paul vestus yeah vestus uh vestus is now on the list um probably one of the smaller and and would you would you say less um less famous than sort of the 10 cents and jd.coms it's a shame c limited Definitely. isn't uh hasn't been brought in but uh yeah vestus is one that i i, I probably owned it uh two years ago and sold out sold out at the top which was very nice um because i just felt it got overvalued but vestus is a uh the largest wind turbine 
creator in the world at, at the moment. Uh, it hasn't got the largest offshore. I think Orsted still owns that title, but I think uh, Bestus is about 14% of the total wind turbine market. So uh, it makes a lot of the uh, a lot of the wind turbines that you see around the country i actually emailed today i actually emailed someone from avestus uh wind turbine farm in wales and i might be going down there to have a look and have a have a little take the camera down there and have a maybe even the drone to talk to so we're, we're sorting that out but um yeah I actually that's a that recipe today. for disaster uh, i know flying a drone good. in a wind turbine <laughs> field that sounds terrible <laughs> It's going to be fun. There's 17 uh, 2 megawatt Vestas uh, turbines in there. And I'm hoping they've got Vestas written on the side and everything like that. But Vestas, um, what to, where to start on it? There's a, there's a lot to it, but uh, mainly the, the thing that stands out about Vestas now is that they've got this new modular type uh, wind turbine, which uh, has the ability to be repaired really easily and upgraded really easily. And the best part of Vestas, and the only thing that makes it profitable, because the rest of the wind turbine, uh, uh, the whole industry seems to be unprofitable. And that includes Siemens and that includes GE, apparently totally unprofitable. Vestas is the only one that stands out as profitable because it has a lot of uh, its business in the maintenance and repair and upgrade side of it, which is very, very good. Uh, 39% of the US market and famously today or yesterday, um, there was a big big wind contract announced off the coast of new jersey and it looks like vestas has the possibility of being part of uh quite a bit of that so uh i'm uh, that was i bought it before we knew that news but uh, i bet nancy pelosi if she had known about that she'd have bought that one um yeah my only problem with it though it's valuation valuation is high expensive yeah yeah, valuation is high, and I haven't put a lot in it. I don't know if you have. I've only put about 200 quid on it right now, Same. pays a mini dividend. Um, but I'm expecting it to go lower, and I'm expecting to buy in as it goes lower. Uh, it's it's just how it is, I think. But I think I did want to own this for a very long time. I think the business uh, has the edge over the rest of the competition. So out of the list, I, I bought Vestas and I bought Tencent. Um, I bought a very small part of Vestas. I bought um, a, the same size stake I had in Tencent that I had in my invest and sold that down. Um, out of the others, I'm really interested in the Russian nickel miner. Um, and mm. I will have to buy Newcrest at some point because I've been promising Steve I will since uh, <laughs> since we first started talking. So, um, I don't know anything about again. Newcrest. I don't know anything about uh, Newcrest. What, Newcrest what is, is an Australian gold miner. Um, uh, it's ah, a pretty low-cost miner. It's um, working on the Greatland Gold um, Haveron site mm -hmm. as well. It's actually the primary miner in that area as well. So they're probably about to uncover um, another great um, Australian gold find. But we shall see. So when you said the ASX was available, you didn't mean the ASX stock. You meant the whole The ASX, ASX stock. No, the ASX. Oh, oh you did mean the ASX stock. So the the rest mm. of the ASX isn't available to us right now. No, no. Well, that's a shame because there's a lot of good solar there. There's a lot of hydrogen in there. Uh, they they're really pushing that, and uh, a lot of the ASX is apparently quite under, uh, an underlooked market. It's a bit miney. <laughs> it's a bit miney. Yeah, it's it's very sunny and miney and dirt. 
That's, that seems to be what the, the Australian stock market looks like. What you... That's so. <laughs> okay, uh, I think we've done that one. There's a few new stocks on uh, Trade 2 or 2 now that we're looking at, and Vestas has been my first little foray into it, and uh, now I can get it in the ISA. So I'm expecting that one to go down, but uh, as with the rest of the renewable energy market is likely to go down in 2022 as small cap stocks get left behind the big uh, rotation. Uh, one that might not get left behind is REITs. Uh, a lot of, a lot of rotation into safer, uh, as it were, safer maybe, um, real investment, real estate investment trusts and their high dividends. That's where Steve W comes in to, uh, tell us all about what he's got planned for REITs. Well, I guess I'm kind of helping, hoping you can help me figure out what I've got planned for REITs. So here's the backstory a little bit. Um, I've currently got some money in premium bonds. Uh, and for people who are not in the UK or who are in the UK but don't really know what premium bonds are, basically they're a, like a sort of savings vehicle that pays you no interest uh, as a guarantee. But every month you can enter into a draw to win some interest, uh, more or less. So you may do better uh, by winning more interest than you would have got in, I don't know, a Marcus account or something. Or you may do worse by earning nothing at all or less um, than you would have got otherwise. Uh, and I'm fed up with having my money in this thing because I feel like it shouldn't be there. It's not my rainy day fund. Uh, so it's investable, movable um, cash. And I checked how much money I've won in this thing. And I'm tracking at a rate of 0.62 uh, on average, which is, is kind of okay where interest rates are at near zero. But this is over a period of time when they were not at near zero as well. Uh, I've had these since interest rates were higher. I've just kind of recently sort of discovered them again. Uh, so I'd like to take them out and I'd like to put them somewhere. And part of my uh, thinking for this year is I really want to get better going back to what I said about the Motley Fool guys, at watching the business and not watching the stock. So I really want to try and get into that mindset of just thinking, well, look, the stock price is what someone will buy this thing off me at, but I don't want to sell it particularly. So what do I care if they're offering me less than I paid for it or more than I paid for it or anything else? What I want to do is uh, keep an eye on the business and the cash flows that come out of that business. And I think with REITs, it's easier to do that because uh, REITs kind of by law have to uh, present to you in the form of a dividend, uh, the kind of cash that they produce more or less. I don't think I mind much in principle whether it's reinvested or whether it's dividended out, but I really want to get better at watching that cash flow line. So when people ask me, how are your investments doing? I say things like, oh, yeah, sure, earnings went up like this and cash flows went that way and so on and so forth, rather than it gone up, uh, it doubled, it halved, it's gone sideways and so on and so forth. Um, so I'm looking for a REIT. Uh, I think. And I would like to know, well, basically what you guys think about REITs at this kind of time and whether you've got any favorites and those kinds of things. Oh, interesting. I think the good ones have gone up. <laughs> and uh, the, mm -hmm. the iffy ones are kind of still... Yeah, very, very hard to... I, uh, with REITs, I find it very, very hard to put together the valuation of the, the the basically the net asset value and the cash that's coming off it and and their rent that's coming off it I, I find it very hard to do it takes takes me a long while that's why I'm not really in many many REITs and there's a thousand of them on my watch list while I I, I basically learn how to do it 
Um, LRI was one that someone put out to me the other day. Uh, I can't remember which stock that was. Um, and also, obviously, I'm in Avalon Bay, but that's mainly for the story. Mm. Obviously, it's producing its cash flow and it's, it's, it's uh, putting a lot back. And, and that's a simple one. So to me, that was a really simple one. You have tenants, they pay rent, and that's just how you get your money back. It shouldn't matter what the value of the property is worth at that time in in that style of business. When you start to get mm. to shopping centers and triple net leases and things like that, you things get a bit more murky for me. Uh, and I don't know if you have come across something similar to that or if that passes you by. That's interesting. So I've come across the shopping center stuff and the triple net lease stuff and sort of a long time ago back on this uh, podcast, I talked about Agree Realty, which is a um, retail real estate REIT. Uh, good luck saying that quickly. Um, but one thing that I kind of noticed on that is I kind of feel like REITs all have the sort of basic same business model. Uh, get some buildings, rent them out to some people, uh, and that's how you make your money. And one of the nice things, compare that to, say, Tencent, uh, for someone like me who is reasonably simple-minded when it comes to investing. I think of myself as, certainly in the grand scheme of things, a beginner. I can understand how that business is meant to work. Uh, I can understand about how the economics of that business works. You need people uh, there to rent these things. You need... Uh, the right kind of quality of tenant and so on. And if you're renting out uh, stores and so on, well, you need to be careful with e-commerce and whatnot, unless you're renting out a convenience store, that's unlikely to be as disruptive way e-commerce, so on and so forth. Um, I kind of like REITs because I think the business model is at least reasonably straightforward to my mind. There are some interesting things about REIT structures, uh, which I can kind of get the hang of, but I kind of find them to be sort of one of the more straightforward business models to understand as opposed to, massive conglomerate I own Berkshire Hathaway so I'm not complaining too much about massive conglomerates but Tencent things where I understand probably about two percent of what they do and they might be undervalued anyway yeah so when I was talking about the triple net leases I meant mm. in the sense of okay so AVB you have one set of customer you have people you have yep. renters and then that's what made it so easy to do the logistics warehouses as well like Seagro and Tritax, Prologis, all of those. It makes it very easy. You've got basically one customer or one type of customer. But when you start going into the REITs that do a lot of different things and have a lot of, uh, basically in lots of different industries, store capital is quite a tough one um, because it's, uh, that's like really small businesses, small and medium businesses, and they kind of mm. milk them as much as they can. That's when it gets more complicated, when you're when you're not looking at one simple area. Um, uh, not Stag. Um, what's the what's the more REIT one that's out there at the moment? Uh, everyone loves uh, Simon Property? Simon Property. Simon Property, again, I feel like it's quite an easy one to avoid. Malls are good but then sometimes they're bad and nobody's going to them anymore are, are they you know <laughs> it's it, it's a it's a confusing story on it but it's very simple malls good or bad by by uh, simon property it's very kind of simple in that way it gets a bit more complicated with simon property as they're trying to get into amazon the amazon localized stuff uh, so that was what i was kind of talking about there's so many different businesses in these bigger reads uh, I think Agree is one that's very similar to that, isn't it? It's just uh, so many different customers. And you've got to know, I feel like you've got to know or have a good opinion on basically their top 20 uh, customers, which makes <laughs> REITs quite hard. 
Just before we move on, do you want to just quickly uh, rotate back to what a triple net lease is for everybody? Because we're using terminology here that perhaps people wouldn't understand. Uh, yeah, so triple net leases are, uh, the way I think about them, and to put it really simply in a sentence, is that your client or your tenant pays for everything. So usually as... Um, uh, if you if you're a landlord, sometimes you can buy you can give it as a furnished apartment, and you have to look after the boiler, you have to look after uh, the pipeworks, all that sort of thing. With triple net leases, it kind of flips it, and that would be similar to the tenant coming in and having to pay for pretty much everything: pay for the boiler, pay, pay to furnish the apartment, and and all those things. Triple net leases work in the same way. Basically, uh, you own the big box as the REIT. You just own the massive box and the shell around it. And then your tenant comes in and fills it with whatever they want and pays all the bills. So you are just collecting rent and you're not having to worry about the best way uh, to work. And if you're looking into REITs, uh, I probably wouldn't. Uh, looking into uh, bigger box REITs, not 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 necessarily logistics REITs. I probably wouldn't stray outside of triple net lease because it's so it gets very complicated. Yeah. So you get single net single net leases are your mm. typical um, rent agreement that you would have if you was renting a house. So it just means that you you rent the house and um, repairs and what have you are due and owned by the landlord. Um, you also get a double net lease. I don't know if you guys have ever come across a double net lease, um, which oh. basically tax insurance onto a single net lease. And then you get a triple net lease, which is essentially, um, as Paul says, you own the box and the land, and um, it's up to who, whoever um, resides on that box uh, and on that land to do everything, including repairs and um, including expenses, building insurance, um, maintenance. So really, triple net is perfect. If you're looking for a REIT, uh, you really want to be looking for somebody who's got um, uh, triple net leases um, up and down the country, really, because what you run the risk of having is uh, in single and double net leasing is um, the REIT has to have a fairly decent sized maintenance team or maintenance budget, which um, obviously, you know, especially in America, hurricane comes riding through the area um, that can that can cause quite a lot of issues. So triple net is uh, is the most desirable. So I guess that sounds like a sort of strategic decision to me there, um, Steve. I mean, I'm guessing if I'm thinking from this as a perspective of a tenant, if I'm going to be a triple net lease tenant, I'm going to want to pay less rent because I'm picking up all the liabilities to do with uh, fixing stuff or uh, significantly more by way of liabilities for kind of fixing stuff and so on. Uh, if I'm a single net lease one, uh, I might be willing to pay more rent because you're going to have to, uh, landlord side, going to have to deal with these sorts of things. I'm guessing that's the way to think about things here. It's it's risk, isn't it? That's the uh, the yeah. idea. Is um, you're taking on the risk, aren't you? So um, generally, if um, single nets will 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 net you more money, um, but a triple net mm. lease from an investor point is definitely more desirable. Hundred percent. The whole point of owning real estate though is to do as little as possible which is where triple net leases really come into their own because as far as i can tell it's best to be lazy with your real estate and, and your personal real estate as well it's the the less maintenance you have to do and the less uh, uh the, the the less decorating you have to do um the better mm. you just want to see that cash flow coming in and that's why i like triple net leasing and and particularly the big box warehouses are very good um for that so what 
are you aiming to sort of get out of this, Steve? Out of this re-question, what what are you aiming to 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 gain? I guess there's a couple of things that interest me here. One is whether you think of REITs as, in a kind of deep way, different to other kinds of stock investments. I mean, obviously they are in some ways, right? They have certain tax considerations and they have to dividend out and so on. And I get that thought uh, for the moment. But I guess one of the things that interests me is, I one of the reasons I've selected REITs as a kind of place to put my once premium bond uh, money here is because I think it's an easy kind of asset class to... Uh, think about in the way I want to think about investments, i.e. focusing on cash flows rather than sort of share prices. Um, and I wonder whether you kind of think differently about those sorts of things when it's something like a REIT uh, or even an MLP, but think about REITs for the moment, where cash flows have to get returned to you versus a stock where it may well return a dividend to you, but that is at management's discretion to some extent. Um, and it's a little bit discretionary from a REIT as well, right? Because their net income can be moved up and down with things like depreciation and whatnot. But but there is at least that kind of requirement on REITs. So I guess I wonder whether you see them as similar to other sorts of stock investment uh, at a kind of fundamental level, or whether you see them as, I don't know, maybe partway between something like we were talking about bonds last time, where the return you get is written on it, um, and it's kind of required and guaranteed, and there's no choice about the thing, and stocks where it's kind of on management discretion. The, the one that's really got me at the moment is brookfield brookfield is the one which i can't understand they're buying so much office space right now and it's not cheap right now but he i forgot his name mm. he the 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 head of brookfield believes that office space is going to be good so so there's your element of risk that's kind of where i'm touching on on this one so i think it is and i kind of uh see where you're going with it that it is halfway between stocks and bonds I, I i do kind of see it that way because the cash has to be returned to you and all you're looking for then is dilution is it worth it how you know what are they buying to, mm -hmm. with the dilution seagrow is a really good one for that right now it's 30 percent over nav it's a silly silly buy right now in my opinion i have even considered selling it but it's still got a four percent dividend on me so i just don't see why i wouldn't hold it forever and just see where it goes uh, so Seagro is like that for me right now. And they're still diluting and they're still buying the same assets. They're doing the same thing, but it comes down to management now, doesn't it? And Brookfield apparently has one of the better... Brookfield's beaten the market like 10 years in a row, something like that, all based on its um, asset prices that it's that it's got in there. And he seems to know where stuff is supposed... He, he understands the market of asset management and if you trust in him because it's the manager isn't it if you trust in that guy then it shouldn't matter if he's buying office space or not but that is scary that he's going going proper balls deep into into office space i just don't know especially with so many big voices out there really saying that office space is is terrible so i think there is i think it's the same as a stock because there's a qualitative and quantitative side of it mm -hmm. but i think the quantitative side is really really easy like you say because cash flows in rent rent flows in and all of that gets delivered to you to you as a shareholder so you've got a bit more of a guarantee there there's still a qualitative so in, element gen in general terms um reits um when I started investing were basically termed as buying cash flow. Um, so that was the idea was that the money you put into your REITs was you was buying 
some cash flow. So um, property is and has been a fairly stable investment with sort of predictable uptrends. Um, the only problem is recently it's become more and more uh, unaffordable. And that's the issue that I tend to have with REITs at the moment is that all the very, very good ones that have been found and they're not cheap and all the trends that you would want to ride, um, 5G, um, warehousing, even self-storage, perhaps biotech lab REITs, they're all trading at um, funds from operation to share price of about 40. And that's, you know... A lot higher than you'd want to pay. Just just as a quick one for people at home again, um, you don't value mm-hmm. a REIT by its PE. Um, it's a fairly useless metric because of the amount of depreciation. So you would use AFFO or FFO, um, which is funds from operation. So if you Google the REIT you're looking for and FFO, um, and then you obviously divide one by the share price, you'll get to your you'll get to evaluation. And mm-hmm. you can use that pretty similarly to how you would use a PE ratio to sort of judge um, a company. You're probably looking at, I, I would say 20, 20 to 25 is a decent price for a REIT. I don't know whether you guys go any higher or lower than that. Uh, it depends on the story again. Uh, it depends on the growth rate so, uh, story. So I, I still treat them similar to a stock because I look at stocks the same as cash flow. It's, it's all very similar, but obviously, like you say, a little bit easier towards the cash flow side of it. Okay. Just Googling what mm. the UK version of funds from operation is because it's very different and it's gone out of my head. What's it called in the UK? Uh, funds from operations. I can't remember what we call it here. So, I mean, it's basically income, well, it's add back depreciation and amortization and take off anything that you gained or lost from uh, selling property, basically. And then adjusted funds from operations uh, will take off anything that was a kind of one-off cost that isn't a regular income type thing. Um, so basically it's a way of trying to move some of the kind of muddying uh, things out of the way of uh, REITs that helps you get a better feel for how the kind of Business is working at the level of operating earnings, basically. So if you think about Berkshire Hathaway, it's not a REIT. But um, Buffett always says, look, don't look at anything below the operating earnings line because it's all noise after that because of stock price movements. Uh, In the case of REITs, depreciation, amortization means it's all noise below the kind of uh, level of FFO. Uh, I I tend to look towards AFO more than I do FFO, Mm -hmm. but... um... So that's uh, that helps on the maintenance side. So ev- everyone's got a little bit of maintenance, even in the triple net leases. But um, particularly in AVB, I was looking very hard at uh, how much it costs to sort them because they're luxury. And that was one of my risks that I highlighted for them was that they are luxury apartments and they need a lot a good maintenance team. And they do. They're, they're, they, well, at least... They told me that they do. <laughs> That's as far as I can really, really uh, go on that one. I, I don't have first-hand experience of, of their luxury coastal apartments. Um, Get 3D tours on the website. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, but I was I, I tell you what, what, what gets me about REITs is you can go to Narit on YouTube. Uh, I think it's got about 2,000 subscribers, and each video gets about, 100 views at the most and they are and they are the biggest REITs and it's the CEOs of REITs and they just talk about their business and I kind of go why aren't more people 
listening to this and watching it. I watched uh, Avalon Bay. It was about an hour with their chief design officer and uh, their, their CEO. And they just sold me it. They massively sold me it. They, they talked about how they're changing <laughs> for uh, work from home and all that sort of thing. And I was just like, well, this is great. This is this is it. And, it, you know, I, I think it's still coming. I think there's still, again, the same with Lennar. Uh, I think there's there's something changing in the uh, work from home market, and I think a lot of these companies are going to benefit from that at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I don't know really where where we got with REITs on this one. We're just kind of trying to find out where you're going to put your money. Have you got any in mind? Yeah, but let's leave that one hanging for the moment <laughs> as to where that's uh, going. Tune right. in next week to find out. We've crossed the hour mark, so I'll let you wrap up, Paul. <laughs> Oh, just right. before we do, then two favourite REITs. Sorry, Ooh. two favourites. Have you got two favourite REITs, yep. Steve? Yep. So when you're talking about two favourite REITs, are uh, just the ones that you like, or particularly... yeah, I don't care whether you're buying them or not. But what's your two favourite REITs? Because because I kind of hate them if they are so heavily mm. overvalued right now. Oh, well, I'll, I'll kick off then, because I've got Go two on. that are massively overvalued. My favourite yeah. two are Alexandria Real Estate, A-R-E, and mm -hmm. Prologis, P-L-D, uh, probably two uh, of the most uh, overvalued REITs on the market. You, you yep. haven't so bought my two favourites. Sorry, A-R-E, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you don't still own them, do you? No. No, I was going to say, because that's... Uh, you, you might want to explain which they are, what, what it is. They're a biotech lab and sort of like bio-office um, uh, REITs, so they specialise in um, pharma companies, helping them uh, move into facilities quicker. And uh, since I've sold them, I just had a really quick look while uh, while you was talking, Paul. They're up another $60 since I sold them when I Jesus. thought they were wildly overvalued. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they're the, another 30-odd percent. That's the problem with the good REITs. Sorry, Steve, what's, what you got? So my two favourites to talk about, uh, not talking about buying them for the moment, are Agree Realty, which is the sort of little brother of Realty Income, which we've somehow managed to avoid talking about for the entire uh, time on REITs, even though everybody mm. that's a dividend investor owns it, I think, pretty much by law. Um, and Terena Realty, which is the sort of smaller brother of Prologis. Uh, so it's another industrial warehousing uh, REIT. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, uh, I, I could probably mention three here. So we've done AVB, which is uh, apartments, luxury apartments, and uh, moving from the work from home style. We can go digital realty in Cyrus, and um, they're the uh, data center REITs, which is one magically I can't believe we didn't talk about today. Uh, housing, basically all of your information. Very good one called Switch which i i can't believe i forgot about mentioning that's one i've been looking at it's not that's why it's because it's not a REIT yet and it will be a REIT soon but i first heard about that with um jeremy from financial education he did a like really strong video on it uh telling me about how amazing it was and i kind of switched off because anytime that that guy just tells you a stock's amazing i just kind of went nope can't be lit. this is one to avoid there's a pump and dump coming and um but now i'm looking at it i go okay everything he said was legit and now it's got serious uh cash going in it as well so switch i think it was called switch uh, it might be uh to i might be totally wrong at which one that the big red one and um mm -hmm. 
that'll be all i think uh there's nothing really out there other than that that i can i can really say that uh at reasonable value at the moment because that's where it comes first it's it's value isn't it anyway i'll wrap up there thank you very much guys for for listening today uh to the playing footsie podcast if you've got any questions or if you've got any reads that you want to tell us about because steve w has about 30 to 40 to 50 maybe 300 thousand pounds put into a re apparently so uh he he's <laughs> and he's uh, i'm gonna say it right now he but definitely is going that. to if you post in the comments yeah if you post in the comments he's going to put it all in your reach whatever you suggest it's just going to be blind 100 percent. that's what he's going to do uh thank you very much guys don't say civic. <laughs> uh yeah geo group although that's not even a reit anymore is it that's not a reit anymore no i'm amazed how many people own stocks I'm amazed how many people own stocks. This the sucker's going up. <laughs>